Hey friend, thanks for listening to the Fixate Phoenix podcast. We are praying that you are blessed by this week's message. If you would like to partner with the future of Fixate, you can visit fixatephx.com slash give. And we're willing to change. In Jesus' name, and the church said... Amen. So what we've been talking about for the last few weeks, um, and this is the last week of it, um, we developed kind of a sermon series and we called it Most Tatted. Okay. Mainly because I have a, I, it's always funny to me when I see people with tattoos that maybe don't understand the meanings. And what I mean by that is like the Jeremiah 29 11 one, right? Where it's like written to a people in bondage, written to a people who've been in exile, who are now 70 years captive, that their towns and cities have been burned and they've been forced pretty much as prisoners of war into Babylon. And it's like, oh, I know the plans I have to prosper you. John 3.16, we talked about with Nicodemus. Nicodemus, Philippians 4.13, we looked at through the lens of the entire chapter of Philippians 4. Week after week, and it's actually funny because uh, this week I stumbled across an article and I was really proud of myself because I did not find this article before this particular sermon series. And it's the top 10 most Google searched Bible verses in the world. And uh, it's according to World Vision who put this article out earlier this year. John 3.16 2.1 million monthly searches online. Jeremiah 29.11, over 82,000 monthly searches. Philippians 4.13, over 80,000 monthly searches. John 10.10, 73,000 monthly searches. Some of you guys are like, oh, when did you talk about John 10.10? Actually, it was at the end of last week's service about the lion, the devil seeking whom he can devour. And then today, this is the best part, is I actually had this one lined up. And today, the number five most Google-searched passage of Scripture, which I'm just going to add my own ad lib here, most tatted Scripture, uh, is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Now, for many of us, we're like, okay, well, what does that mean? I think for a lot of us who've grown up in the church, we will understand this one when I read it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he'll make your paths straight. You know, ideally, I was going to take this through the lens of Solomon, but I really did a whole uh, thing on Solomon. You can go back in in the podcast archives on February 26th of this year, where we broke down kind of Solomon's life and trajectory and kind of what happened to him. But today I wanted to take it in a different direction because I think for a lot of us, we sit in this room today and we say, all right, God, I trust you. But then the question becomes, do we lean on our own understanding? In all of our ways, do we acknowledge him? And then a lot of us were like, God, I want the straight paths, but we don't want the trust, the understanding, the acknowledgement. So what I want to do is I want to talk about today really evaluating our lives through the lens of this passage and really identifying if we have any kinks in the line of what could be inhibiting the flow and relationship of God in our personhood. You know, I said that term on purpose, kinks in the line, because believe it or not, many of you guys don't maybe know me and my wife's story, but we moved here from Michigan, and something that I did in my young 20s was I flipped a few houses with my parents. 
Now, what that actually means is this, because I think in this day and age of the entrepreneurial Instagram reel, right, everybody's like, oh, flipping houses, that sounds like, man, you're like, dude, oh no, it's not fun. It's not cool. It's actually terrible. (laughs) And it's actually, it's funny because my dad like really loves it, but like I found out over time, like, no, I actually hate it. Now it's great at the end when you get the finances from it, but in the, in the middle of like, oh, you know, my roof is caving in. I can't live here. There's black mold everywhere. Or in this case, this story is an all-timer. I want to encourage you that if you're thinking about fixing up a house, it's worse than you think. (laughs) Just kidding, but kind of, not really. My first flip house I bought when I was 22 years old. And it was, it was terrible, and I, I've told stories about it before. The very first day that we were doing demo there, I turned on the fireplace and didn't know that the fireplace wasn't vented, and so it had natural gas in the whole house, and I threw up all day while working, wondering why. Until my dad shows up and goes, hey, your fireplace has a gas leak. It's like, oh, that makes sense. I've been profusely vomiting for the last six hours. <laughs> But this particular house, the best, the funny thing about it was it had a well. Now, if you know anything about a well, what it means is they they dig a well deep and then they put a pump in and they bring the water up from the ground. So you just pay for electricity. You don't necessarily pay for water. Now, what was wild about this house was it was extremely old and it had a well pit. It was literally like those, those underground dungeon boxes that you see for like preppers have. It was like literally eight inches thick of concrete box that was like eight by eight and you had to go in and I couldn't fit now, but back then I could fit in. It's like it was made in like the early 20s where everybody was just tiny. There was no carbs back then. <laughs> People were like, wait, really? No, there was carbs, but it was just different. <laughs> Sorry. So I remember, I, yeah, I, here's the funny thing. So when I got the house, I had the well inspected. Everything was fine. One day I wake up and I go in to try and take a shower and there's no water coming out, which is a red flag. So what do I do? I, I kind of am figuring out. I go out to my pump. I look at my pump. I call this, this well expert guy and he comes and he says, oh, your pump's bad. He goes, uh, and not only that, because of where your pump's located in this concrete pit, there's no way we could even replace it. The only choice you have is to connect to city water. Once again, Flip House Chronicles. And so what do I do? I immediately go, okay, well, what does that look like? And he looks at me and he goes, My, I had, a, I had a, a house that was almost on an acre. And so I was probably close to 600 feet from the street. And so what happened is, is I was looking and he's like, okay, so your main water line, the city has, has a water spot right in the front of your property. But what you have to do is you're going to need to dig a 36 inch deep trench from, from where your property is in the front all the way, not to your house, around the back of your house to this well pit. Then we'll dig a huge hole and connect everything in and then dig another hole to run it into your house to where your water goes into your house. Which how many of you guys know this just sounds incredible, like a great weekend experience. <laughs> so for me, I'm looking and I'm like, okay, well, this sounds fantastic. It's like I have to dig 36 inch deep trench all the way through my front yard over 600 feet just to get water. So what do I do? We get to work. I have some friends and we do it. 
they come and they dig up this huge trench. My front yard's just ridiculous. Everything's, but I'm like, man, I'm getting city water. It'll help with my, my home valuation and all the stuff. And so finally we dig the trenches, we put the tubing in, we cover it all up. And then we, we, we go to turn on the city water and we turn it on and I go inside and I turn on my nozzle again. And guess what? No water. Now I'm thinking in my mind, I'm like, okay, why do I not have any water? I just ran it from the street dug this 600-foot trench all the way to the back. How do I not have any water? So I call my dad, and my dad looks at me, and he goes, I think you, you have some kinks in the line. I'm like, what, what is that supposed to mean? Well, maybe how you put the pipe in that there's kinks. So literally what I then had to do, this is once again, right? If you're going to flip a house, I want you to remember this story. What I had to do then is run a snake from one end, and when it would stop and I couldn't get it through, I would mark the end of the snake and then measure how far down the snake it was. And then from the beginning, I would measure to the top surface, dig all the way down, find the kink, and then take it out, replug it in to where it was straight, and then try water again. How many kinks do you think I had? Not one, not two, not three, not four, not five. I don't want to talk about it anymore. (laughs) But what was interesting is I had done the work necessary for the water to be used. The only problem is, is there were kinks in the line that inhibited the flow from me actually having the benefit of it. And what I want to challenge us today on is this, because when I read this verse, I believe that this sums up what it means to have the flow of God in our lives in such a way that our paths are made straight and smooth. The only problem is this. Some of us, we don't realize that a kink in the line might be trusting in the Lord. Because it's easy to sing about, it's easy to hear preached on, but it's a whole nother thing to actually live out. See, some of us, we hear this line, don't lean on your own understanding. How many of us in this room, it's easy to be like, okay, God, I'm not gonna lean on my own understanding, I'll lean on yours. How are you transforming your understanding? Because many of us don't even realize that unless we are committed to a lifestyle of reading God's word and being and seeking the revelation knowledge of it, we don't even realize that our lives are kinked because we don't have anything that will bring light to where the kinks might be. And even for some of us, the last part, all your ways, acknowledging him, what does it mean to live with all of your ways pointing To him, we're going to break down that word acknowledge. And I want to challenge you once again on the reality today that I believe all of us, God, wants to have that water flowing in our hearts and in our lives. In which we experience the fullness and the depth of who he is and who he created us to be. But a lot of the times we have a lifestyle of kinks in which God wants to challenge us. Will we do the hard work of excavating into the depths? Cutting out the thing that is blocking and and restoring the flow going forward. So with that today, I'm actually going to reference briefly a man by the name of John Mark. Now, John Mark to me is hilarious because the actual very first reference we have of John Mark is in Mark 14, 51 through 52. And I'm not going to actually read it, but it's hilarious because essentially it's about him running away naked from the soldiers. 
I'm, I'm dead serious. Naturally, now I actually am going to read him. Verse 52, but he pulled, or verse 51, a young man was following, wearing nothing but a linen sheet over his naked body, and they seized him. But he pulled free of the linen sheet and escaped naked. How many of us are like, wow, and what we know about this, if you research this passage, is John Mark actually writes the Gospel of Mark, and he's incorporating himself into the story, saying, hey, I was there even if I ran away butt-cheek naked. I was still there when Jesus got arrested. I still knew about all that was going on, even if it was a little weird circumstance, right? But here's what's interesting is what you start to see about John Mark's um, life. And once again, I believe that it, it has a correlation to Proverbs 3. Is what you see is that John Mark actually becomes kind of part of this new blend of disciple. One that is sent out from the proving grounds of Jerusalem and sent out into the Gentile world. Many of us don't understand that in the book of Acts, right... When, the, when Pentecost happens, which it is Pentecost Sunday, so that's my Pentecost Sunday reference. <laughs> For all you Bible geeks in here, Thomas. <laughs> but what happens is, is when, the, when, the, when the Spirit of God falls, there's a decision that the disciples have to make. And the decision is, Peter stands up, he gives his first sermon, and it says that people from every tribe and tongue could hear the gospel being preached. So there was tons of people getting saved, but here's the, here's the problem, is most of the disciples' thinking was, okay, we're called to the Jews. So what happened is, is there becomes a choice in the book of Acts that kind of permeates this underlying thing, and the choice is this. Are we going to be people who go to try to get Jewish people saved unto being born again in Jesus? Or are we going out into the Gentile world? First cough here. <laughs> are we going out into the Gentile world and seeking people who have no context of anything Jesus and trying to point them to a better way? So what we see is that Peter becomes the, the, the one sent out to the Jews, but Paul becomes the one sent out to the Gentiles. Not only is Paul sent out to the Gentiles, but he actually, before Paul, there was a man that superseded him that was esteemed with high honor among the apostleship, and his name was Barnabas. Paul and Barnabas are sent out as the first missionaries to the Gentile world where their full focus is establishing churches in areas where it's not focused on Jewish, it's focused on Gentile, which Gentile means they were born outside of the Jewish covenant. Gentile is a catch-all term for anybody who was not raised Jewish. It says this, so in Acts 13, and I'm going to read verse 1, 3, and 13, jumping around a little bit. Now they were at Antioch in the church that was there and the prophets and the teachers. I'm going to jump around to verse 2. While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, 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 set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. When they had fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. Verse 13, jumping down. Now Paul and his companions put out to sea from Pathos and came to Perga in a huge word, but John left them. <laughs> But John left them and returned to Jerusalem. I'm not going to hide it here. So I want us to understand what I just read. 
Barnabas, we find out John Mark, the guy who ran away naked, right, is related to Barnabas. Barnabas and Paul are set out from the church in Jerusalem. Barnabas vouches for John Mark and says, man, I want to bring my family member with us for this ministry. So they set out, and guess what happens? At the very end, Acts verse 13, it actually says that John Mark returns. Now, when we read that, we think, oh, John Mark must have just decided he wasn't, he, he just needed to go back. But what we actually see is that John Mark becomes the thing that drives a wedge between Paul and Barnabas's ministry. And the reason being is because John Mark is one who, when we start to research the text, what we find is that John Mark is the one who essentially wants to go back to Jerusalem because his mindset is, man, it's a lot easier living in Jerusalem and speaking to the Jewish people than it is going out here and pounding the pavement for the Gentiles and building churches in a world that has no context of who Jesus is. Not only that, but Paul's level of persecution is incredible as you read throughout the epistles. And it says this, we're going to keep jumping because I'm trying to frame John Mark through this lens of Proverbs 3. It says this, after some days Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brethren in every city which we have proclaimed the word of the Lord and see how they are there. Barnabas wanted to take John, this is John Mark, called Mark along with them. But Paul kept insisting they should not take him along who had deserted them and had not gone with them to do the work. And there occurred a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another and Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left being committed by the brethren to the grace of the Lord. Paul is mad. Barnabas steps up and says, hey, my cousin, let's, let's bring him again. I know he was maybe young and immature. Maybe he wanted that comfortable reality of what was offered in Jerusalem. But I believe we should give him another chance. And Paul's like, no way. Where we're going, it is hard. And I don't want to be deserted again by somebody who's not ready to step out in faith for what God has called us to do. The disagreement is so sharp that it pulls apart Barnabas and Paul in which they do not travel again that we have on record after this moment. So it drives them apart in such a way that these two men who were inseparable are now separated. But what's fascinating about the story is this. You start to see John Mark actually reappear. Almost to the point where we can rationally assume that Barnabas in vouching for him and saying, let's give him another chance, actually is proved right because of the legacy and what happens to John Mark. I'm going to read a couple verses, and what's funny is, is these are all from different books in the New Testament written by Paul in occurrence to John Mark. It says this, 2 Timothy 4.11, Only Luke is with me. Take along Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for service. Okay, let me frame this. Barnabas, if you want to bring John Mark with you, I'm not traveling with you. But here we are in 2 Timothy. Bring John Mark with you. He's useful for me. Colossians 4.10. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you this greeting and also Barnabas' cousin Mark. What you see is, is that Paul is actually starting to use John Mark for the ministry and networking all of the Gentile churches together. Philemon 1, 22 to 24, at the same time also prepare for me a guest room, for I hope that through your prayers I will be given to you. 
Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you, as do Mark. There's a couple other names, my fellow workers. What I'm trying to say is this. For laced within this story we see about John Mark, the man who wrote the Gospel of Mark, is in the beginning he's somebody who doesn't have the courage or the faith to actually be the sent out one to the Gentile church. And by the end of his story, what we're seeing is that John Mark has completely changed into this man that now Paul doesn't just want a part of his team, but he's carrying messages from Paul for the Gentile churches. You know what's even more fascinating is the history of John Mark's life. And what I mean by that is he's esteemed in being sent out in Paul's place. He's a fellow worker, not just a servant on a journey. See, what changed is the trust and understanding of what following Jesus would look like. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean on your, not own, on your own understanding. What is that essentially saying? John Mark started out on the journey, and it was, God, I'll trust you to be a voice and somebody who steps out in faith to bring the gospel into areas of the world. But then the understanding was challenged when it was difficult when it wasn't the Jerusalem like he thought it was going to be. Then he was confronted with, will I unkink the lines of my life to come into accordance with who I'm called to be? He's a fellow worker, not just a servant on a journey. For he trusts and understands what following Jesus will look like. You know, it's interesting if you study New Testament writings, Paul is the apostle to the Gentile. Peter is an apostle to the Jew. However, where we see in the New Testament, Paul overtaking Peter is the importance of being one who is sent out to the ones who have never heard and have never seen to see the lost saved. John Mark then makes the choice of rather being somebody called to the Jewish church of Jerusalem to rather the Gentile churches of the world. And how we know this is because in traditional circles of studying his life, he's revered as St. Mark. And in some language over thousands or over a thousand years old, as he's called Mark the Evangelist who died in Alexandria, Egypt. Where it says he's died is that it's recorded in A.D. 68 that a rope is placed around his neck, fastened to a chariot, and he's drugged through the streets of Egypt until he's killed. Thus known as Mark the Evangelist. Where did Mark start? Send me back to Jerusalem. I don't know if this work is cut out for me. Where did Mark end? I'll die fastened to a chariot being drug if it means that the gospel of Jesus goes to a city it never could have. What am I trying to say to you today? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean on your own and don't lean on your own understanding. There's a cost related to that. In all your ways, acknowledging him. See, I think the day and age of this world, us saying, okay, God, like I want to trust in you, but I don't want to pay a cost. I want to lean. I won't lean on my own understanding, but I won't submit to anybody. I won't acknowledge you in all of my ways, but man, you've got my Sunday mornings. See, that's the John Mark that gets sent back to Jerusalem. The John Mark that's sent out into all the world is, God, I'll trust you, even though my preference is not what I will be doing. God, I will trust you, even though this is outside of my understanding. 
I'll trust you. I'll acknowledge you in all of my ways, even if it means I'm drugged behind a chariot and killed. For you make my path straight. Let that sink in. Because I think a lot of us, if I ask you, do you want your path straight and smooth, we all would say yes. But we don't know that there's ingredients to that smooth and straight path. And see, that's what I want to do in closing today is give you three thoughts that determine if the paths are straight and smooth-ish. You notice how I saved myself there? We're, we're not going full prosperity, all right? Sorry, can't do it. Can't do it. Straight and smoothish. Number one, if your trust is not leading you to greater understanding of God's word and will for your life and your neighbor, it's false hope. If your trust is not leading you to greater understanding of God's word and will for your life and neighbor, it's false hope. If I were to ask you today, how deeply committed are you to understanding God's word? What transformative behavior and habit do you have implemented in which you are constantly intaking the word of God that it's changing the will that you have? See, John Mark, I believe this is important in the journey, is that he had an understanding of word and will. And ultimately what those things did is they provided a more dependent trust. My journey is this. In my Christian kind of faith walk, the more that I have prioritized the word and walking out in the will, the more it has been asked of me to trust. And I believe the progression of word and will is not, well, if I know God's word and I know God's will, I'll have to trust less. It's rather you will be challenged to trust more. And I want to say this to a lot of us because right now we're functioning at such a base level um, area of trust. And God's saying, listen, I have so much more for you in my word and in my will. But also it will challenge you to trust in deeper ways than you ever thought possible. See, trust gets you into into the kingdom, but understanding gets you to live like the kingdom. You know, what's interesting is, uh, is for a lot of us, we've been asked, if, if I were to ask you the question, greater understanding trust and understanding what these things mean is, is understanding in Hebrew is the Hebrew word bina, which means wisdom, discernment, and knowledge. So what does it say when it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding? What it's really saying is lean not on your wisdom, your discernment, and your knowledge, because it will deceive you. Some of us, we've been so busy building castles around us of our own knowledge and fortification of why we're right that we don't realize that any castle built by human hands is sand. We live in such a world where we just, we want the echo chambers of people who believe the same things, talk the same things, have the same social makeup, come from the same socioeconomic class, have the same skin, all of these things. And we don't realize that as we've constructed lives where we haven't gained deeper understanding and developed deeper trust, we're missing out on the fullness that comes from living kingdom life. 
And I challenge you today, if your trust is not leading you to greater understanding, it's false hope. See, a lot of us, we got trust and faith in God, but do you have understanding where you submit to others? You're poured in by others. Pursue discipleship from others. Have a relationship with Scripture that's open-minded and not closed, just hoping to read things that reaffirm everything we believe. A commitment that says, God, when I read your word, it becomes who I am. Greater understanding. Greater hope. The second thing is this. A made-up mind cannot be made a made-new person. You need new understanding in order to see and acknowledge him in new ways. Hebrew word for acknowledge, yada, which means to know, to learn to know, to perceive, to perceive and see, to find out, to discern, to distinguish, to know through experience, to recognize, to admit, to confess, to consider, to be acquainted with, to be skillful in, to have knowledge of, to be wise. See, I copied and pasted this whole definition because it's huge. And the reason I say that is because I think for a lot of us, right, when I say in all your ways, acknowledge him. That's kind of a loaded, like topical, like what does that even mean in today's lens? And so what I want to do is I want you to sit as I read these again. What does it mean to acknowledge him in all your ways? What does it mean? It means to know him in all your ways. To learn to know him deeper in all your ways. To perceive him in all your ways. To see him in all your ways. To find out and discern him in all your ways. To distinguish him in all your ways. To know him by experience in all your ways. To recognize him in all your ways. To admit and acknowledge him in all of your ways. To confess, to consider, to know him in all your ways. To be acquainted with in all your ways. To be skillful, to have knowledge, to be wise with him in all your ways. What am I trying to communicate? The greatest prayer you could ever pray. Give me new understanding so I will have the ability to acknowledge and see you in everything that I do. Give me new understanding so I will have the ability to acknowledge you and see you in everything that I do. The last one is super long, but I promise you, I think it's important. It says this, straight and smooth paths are developed by going through seasons of having trust when you don't want to trust, understanding when you have every reason to hold your own view, and training yourself to see and acknowledge him in a world that is trying to convince you he is hidden. See, what I want to say to you is this. I believe a lot of us, we want the smooth paths of God, but we don't necessarily want the trust. We don't want the lean, not on my own understanding. We don't want the, in all my ways, acknowledge him. But God, give me the smooth paths. Give me the smooth paths. 
And I want to challenge all of us today. I believe that that's the recognition we need is who makes the path straight. Is it you or him? Who makes the path smoothish? You or him? And then the choice lived out of if you actually believe it is him, what are you doing to lean into him in such a way that he can construct the road that you will follow? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. He'll make your path straight. Let's stand to our feet. If you've been here before, you know I read a passage of scripture over all of us. And by scripture, I mean just prayer. There's some scripture in it related to the sermon. So whatever your posture for receiving is, I just want to pray this over you today. Father, today we are still still within our need to trust focusing on our ability to acknowledge and releasing the control to make our paths straight and smooth and giving them to you God today we lay down all other pursuits and focuses at your feet we are challenged give us greater understanding of your word and how practical it applies to the ways in which we walk. We repent of a made-up mind that is the enemy of the new person you're trying to create. And God, we repent of a mindset that is bought into the lie that you are hidden today, unseeable and unknowable. God, would you give us a heart for intimacy unto greater sight that sees you in the creation we walk in, the neighbors we're called to love, and the world we seek renewal in. Give us eyes to see above the noise that tries to dictate our walk above the smoke from a world that has endless fires and what seems like never enough water to put them out. Father, give us a holy conviction to trust, to lean on your understanding and a rhythm of acknowledging and seeing you. And that from this place, you will take care of how straight and smooth the path needs to be for us. Take our eyes from our own man-made paths today. For we have always been intended to walk by faith and not by sight. Jesus, help us to believe that our creator is seeking to create again in us. In Jesus' name, amen.